So we're going to be in uh, John chapter 4, and starting at the first verse, that's page 1066 in the Church Bibles. Now the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? But then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And just on to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. 
For those of you who were here last week, and if you weren't, I commend the podcast uh, to you of the sermon last week when Jez brought us the story, which was in chapter 3, the chapter before, when Jesus has an encounter with another person. He has an encounter with a chap by the name of Nicodemus. And although there are similarities in the fact that Jesus comes and meets two people, there are also many contrasts in these two people that he meets, Nicodemus in the previous chapter and the Samaritan woman that we've just read about. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. The the woman at the well meets Jesus in the middle of the day. He was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. He was a man. She was a woman. It's pretty obvious. He was a learned, an influential, a respectable religious man. She was likely uneducated, ignorant, a person of no influence. But we find out that they both needed to meet Jesus. So we start here in verse 4. Jesus having to go through Samaria. They were traveling north. They were going from Judea to Galilee. And the geography of that region is basically Judea down here, Galilee up here, and Samaria in the middle. Now, it sounds obvious that you would go through Samaria to get to Galilee, you know, go from south to north, and you would, you would walk through it in that way. But that wasn't necessarily um, what occurred. Travelers would often cross across the River Jordan, which was over on this side here, cross the river, go up the other bank, all the way around, and across again into Galilee at the top, so that they would miss out Samaria in the middle of that. And the reason for that was there was great animosity between the Jews and the Samarians. The basic history, in a nutshell, was that um, the Assyrians had captured Samaria back in about 700 B.C., they deported all the Israelites from the, from the region, any of the Israelites of any substance anyway, and they'd settled this land of Samaria with foreigners who had then intermarried with any surviving Israelites were there. So they'd become a mixed race. And in the eyes of the, the Jews, they'd become tainted. They'd become, um, they had become uh, impure. They'd become unclean. The people in Samaria had joined Judaism with their paganistic roots, and so they'd got some kind of strange religion that they were following as well. And so there was great antagonism here, and often travelers that might go through the region might often get attacked on their way as well. So they would often move around instead of going straight through Samaria. But on this occasion, Jesus says he needs to go directly through and travels through Samaria, and this is the reason that he meets this woman on the way. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon, midday. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, it's very easy to let this verse kind of wash over us as we move on through the story. But um, to know what the context is suddenly brings you up and it makes you realize that actually verse 7 has got some rather strange things within it. And there's something wrong in this verse that doesn't quite sit right. If you have a look at this picture on the screen here, there's a picture that you could quite easily gloss over and look at. picture of, you know, five guys sitting together, having a camera, having their picture taken. 
But is there anything wrong with this picture? Can anyone spot anything that is slightly strange with it that makes you look again? Anyone? There is no bench there. You might be able to see it on this one easier. Um, it looks like five guys sitting together on a bench just looking at the camera, having their picture taken. But actually, there isn't a bench there at all. They're all sitting just with their backs to the wall and supporting themselves as is. And to be honest with you, if you just looked at that picture and it was in a photo album or a Facebook post, you could quite easily flip over that and go on. But once you see it, you actually can't take your eyes off it and go, oh, yeah, that's really strange, isn't it? It's the same here in verse 7. You can quite easily gloss over what's in verse 7 without realizing that there's some, actually some strange things in here. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Well, firstly, we've got a Samaritan woman drawing water from a well by herself. And usually that would have been something they would have done as a community. There would be women coming together to draw water to use for everything that they would need to use for for the day. So to have a woman by herself doing this is very strange. She was drawing at midday, the heat of the sun, the hottest part of the day. This was highly unusual. As we know, um, because of the famous saying, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun. And it certainly wouldn't have been women going to draw water. They would have either come early in the morning or more likely later in the evening when it was cool and they would have come to the well to do that then. Also, we've got Jesus speaking to a Samaritan. And as we've already seen, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't have a lot to do with each other. They were very antagonistic towards each other. So even having a conversation between a Jew and a Samaritan was very strange. But the most strange thing of all was she wasn't just a Samaritan, but she was a woman. And having somebody speaking to a woman in a public place on their own in those days would have been incredibly strange, especially for a Jewish religious person, a Jewish rabbi. In that culture, women had an incredibly low status in both Jewish and in kind of Greco-Roman culture that was the time then. There was even some citations that have been um, found um, of the day, which says, one should not talk with a woman on the street, nor even one's own wife, and certainly not someone else's wife, because of the gossip of men. And it's forbidden to even give a woman any greeting in public. There you go. In those days, women's um, testimony was inadmissible in court. They weren't seen as credible witnesses. Um, And on a complete side note, a tangent, it's amazing that we have um, Jesus' resurrection being witnessed by women. Jesus' birth being witnessed by shepherds who had also been seen as of low importance in those days. So this scene is set for quite an intriguing encounter. We've got midday, a woman coming by herself to a well, speaking to a Jew. What's going on? Okay, let's have a look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So the woman recognizes her place in society. She recognizes the place that her race um, means that she should be in. 
And John's comment there in, in parenthesis there, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, or, or literally there was a phrase that Jews don't use dishes that Samaritans have used because it was felt that they would become unclean because of that. So Jesus answers her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, Jesus is hinting here that she doesn't actually quite get who she's talking to. And if you were here last week or you listened to the podcast from last week, the story of Nicodemus, he has the same issue. He doesn't quite get who he's talking to until much later on in the conversation. But Jesus now starts talking about living water. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The picture of some living water here. It had a kind of a double meaning. First of all, it had a meaning like we would see um, on this picture that's going to come up now of um, fresh running water. Not water that might have been in a cistern or that might have been in a well, something that was getting stagnant, but something that was running. It was a fresh spring that was coming out. I remember we used to go on holiday to Derbyshire when I was a, just a boy, and we, used to, we went to Buxton in Derbyshire. And I remember one particular holiday uh, where we were up a hillside, and um, there was a spring of water just coming out of the ground. You couldn't even really tell exactly where it was starting from because it was just a stony, rocky ground, but there was fresh, clear water just bubbling out of the ground. And I remember my mum getting some straws out, and there's a photo somewhere in the archives of us um, sitting, drinking from this... <laughs> beautiful, fresh, clear spring with some straws. And little would we know that 20 years later they'd bottle it and sell it to the rest of the country. But this was one of the meanings of living water. It was running, it was fresh, it was alive. And again, we have to take ourselves back into this time to realise why this was such an issue. For us, turning on the tap, buying a bottle of water from the supermarket, fresh water, spring water, hmm, not such a big deal. For this arid country where most of it was arid for much of the year, completely dusty and unwatered. Water was an incredibly precious commodity. It was something they would use to want to water the crops with, to wash in, to cook with, mostly importantly to drink. You can die of thirst long before you can die of hunger and many people in those days would have known about that in times of famine and in times of drought. So for Jesus to be talking about running fresh, living water in this arid place was something that was really piquing her interest here. There's another meaning that's used in the Old Testament as well. And God speaks about living water there. There's a book of Jeremiah. And um, he's talking about the fact that um, God's people have basically ignored uh, the living God and they've turned to the idols of the land. And he says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. So referring to himself as the spring of living water. And have dug their own cisterns or their own wells. But they're broken cisterns. They're not plastered and they can't hold water. And these worshipping idols that uh, God's people had turned to, God likened them to broken cisterns. Something that didn't even really hold water and any water that it did hold was just stagnant and would just leak away 
and it would fail and it wouldn't satisfy. Whereas God was being likened to living, fresh, running water that never gave up. So there was a misunderstanding over what this water was. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you've got nothing to draw with. He's got no buckets or anything with him. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? Well, archaeologists have found this well, and then they reckon it was probably at least 100 feet deep. It was a long way down to get this water. And Jesus had nothing on him to get this water. And so the Samaritan woman, quite understandably, I would think, is trying to work out where Jesus is going to get this fresh, running, living water in the middle of this arid place at a well, but with nothing to draw it from. And so she says, are you greater than our forefather, the one who actually dug this well um, in the first place? And I think she knows what her answer is. I think it's a partly rhetorical question there. But verse 13, Jesus says, Everybody who drinks this water, i.e. what's in this well here, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Give me this water, sir, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He's got her interest all of a sudden. She's suddenly thinking, actually, if this guy has really got some sort of living, fresh water that he can give me that's not going to make me be thirsty again, and I haven't got to keep coming out to this well in the middle of the day by myself and drawing it every single day, well, maybe that's something worth happening, worth having. And the, the water that Jesus is talking about here, where it says a, a water welling up, it's literally leaping up with inside. It's a very vigorous, kind of abundant water that he's talking about but she's misunderstood just as Nicodemus had in the previous chapter when Jesus was talking about being born again and he misunderstood that and thought how do I get back inside my mother's womb again when I'm old she's misunderstood the water that Jesus is talking about he's talking about spiritual water here later on in John he likens water to the spirit coming within our lives giving us life giving us hope And today, do we see God's gift of living water, his spirit, as a vigorous, abundant spring that's inside of us? Because that's what God says that he's given us, his spirit inside, living up within us, living water, welling up within us. Or are we trying, as God's people did in the Old Testament, in that verse in Jeremiah, looking to maybe idols of our own age, to fulfill us and to satisfy our thirst. Maybe career or financial security or relationships, acceptance of others, status. All things in our society would say the important things that we should be thirsting for. Jesus is saying here, no, thirst after my spirit. Have the living water inside of us. Ephesians tells us to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. Sometimes, even for those of us that have maybe been Christians for many years, we can feel the Spirit within us, but we can maybe feel it now as not that overflowing, abundant, welling up life, but maybe just down to a little trickle 
But Ephesians reminds us that we can be continually filled with the Spirit. We can pray for more of the Spirit within our lives to constantly fill us and to give us that abundant life. We get to verse 16, and it sounds like quite a change of subject. Jesus suddenly says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. He's just been talking about water, and suddenly he's talking about calling her husband. So is this kind of a a sudden uh, tangent? Has he gone off on one here? Well, no. It seems that the Samaritan woman has misunderstood so far what Jesus is talking about, where her need is, what this water is all about. And so Jesus gently now steers her to an area of where her real need is. Verse 17, I've got no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right, you haven't got a husband. You've had five already and the guy who you're with now isn't actually your husband either. And this, in those days, would have been just so wholly disapproved of, this woman would have been seen as completely immoral. She'd have been seen, really, to use a one-day phrase, the complete floozy of the town, really. Rabbinic opinion was, well, divorce is kind of not really okay, but if you're going to be divorced two times, maybe three at the absolute most, five times, complete no-no, and living with someone who wasn't your husband openly would have just been completely disapproved and unacknowledged. So now we know why she was alone at the well at this time. Why was she coming out to draw water by herself when usually she would be with a group of other women, they would go and have a social event maybe and gather water and chat and take the water back again. I'm sure it's because she was either ostracised completely by the people of the town or as well felt incredibly embarrassed about her lifestyle and what had happened to her. She'd been looking for satisfaction and meaning and security in relationships with men. And it looks like she hadn't really found what she was looking for. But Jesus said that he could give her a spiritual purpose, a peace, an acceptance, a love, and a beauty. He meets her where her need is, and he meets her in a very gentle way. Do you see how compassionate he was? He doesn't come along and say, you're a sinful woman. These are the things that you've done wrong. You go and repent of those things and you put your life back in the right and then you come back and see me. No, he lets her talk of where her need is. He gently points the finger at that place. He really cared for her. It's been said that people want to know that we care before they care about what we know. I'll say that again. People want to know that we care before they care about what we know. And I think we've heard that this afternoon already really clearly from what Carmen's been talking about, what Viva are doing in Bolivia and other countries as well, actually caring on a practical level for children, for people that are in crisis, in situations genuinely caring and holding out their hands to them. And in that way, sharing Jesus' love for those people. We need to be people that are known as caring people, not just people that talk well about our faith, but people that actually care about this broken world that we're in and the broken-hearted people 
that are in it. We're running out of time here. Quickly, we have a passage now where Jesus um, talks to her about the, um, the religious issue of the day that this woman has brought up about where people should, ma- where should, people should worship, whether it be in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim, which is where the Samaritans have built a temple. And essentially Jesus is saying to her, time's coming, and it's now come really, where geography doesn't really matter. We're looking for people, God's looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth, people to know him and to worship them, him from their hearts. But she's confused probably by these answers and says, well, one day the Messiah is going to come and he'll tell us what the answers are to this. And Jesus is able to actually identify himself there and then and says, I'm the one. I who speak to you am he. And I think that's at this point that the penny drops and she realises who she's been talking to and probably what he's been talking about. So what does she do? She immediately leaves. The disciples return and then she leaves her water jar. She doesn't worry about the water that she's come here to collect. She goes back to the town and what does she do? She told the people, the people that she was probably embarrassed to be around, people that might have ostracised her in the past. She doesn't care about that. She has good news to share and she tells them about it. She's not suddenly become a great theologian by this short conversation with Jesus. She's suddenly not got great experience in her faith. But she's simply met Jesus, and she's able to share that experience. And she shares that in such a way that we're told that many believed because of the woman's testimony, and then they come out and they hear Jesus for themselves, and many more believe because of what they hear. And for us, that's a great encouragement, I think. We don't need to be learned in the faith. It's good to study. It's good to know more about God through those things. But we don't need to do that before we share our faith with others, before we share what has happened in our lives. All we need to have done is to have met the person of Jesus, acknowledge who he is in our lives, what he's done for us, and to be able to share that love with others in practical ways and also in sharing his love through the gospel.